0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW approved. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.
2: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 524th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today has been called the fairy godmother of independent cinema, Michelle Satter. In 1981, Satter became the founding director of the Sundance Institute, the labs of which have, in the words of the Associated Press, helped to launch the first films of many of Hollywood's top filmmakers and, as the Los Angeles Times put it, have served as the premier incubator of indie talent. Satter, meanwhile, has been described by our own publication as a uniquely nurturing presence in an industry that more often than not mocks creativity and trivializes risk-taking. Interview Magazine declared, As a film fan, you might not know her name, but if you're a filmmaker, you certainly do. And to that point, consider what some of the alumni of the Sundance Labs have said about her. Paul Thomas Anderson. She changed the course of my life, and I don't know where I'd be without her. She was the first person I met in the film business who gave me confidence and support. Darren Aronofsky. Her early encouragement made me feel invincible. Deborah Granick. She is a tireless champion of storytelling diversity and has labored for years through the Institute to pry this space open, which in turn has allowed filmmakers not previously represented in American movie making to contribute their work. Lisa Chilodenko, she was one of my earliest champions. And the list goes on. Last Tuesday night, Satter was presented by two other alums of the Sundance Labs, Ryan Kugler and Chloe Zhao on behalf of the Board of Governors of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, with the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award, which is presented on occasion to an individual in the motion picture industry whose humanitarian efforts have brought credit to the industry. Satter was only its 43rd recipient, and of those 43, just the 10th who was a woman. A day before the presentation, the 71-year-old and I sat down at the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel to discuss how she first heard about a new venture being organized by Robert Redford out in Utah and talked her way into a gig there, what the Sundance Labs are, how they have evolved, and how they served a number of specific filmmakers who are now widely known, why, in her view, independent films are worth fighting for, now as much as ever, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Michelle thank you so much for doing the podcast it's great to have you and this is a very big week that I'm speaking to you uh, at the start of it's we're speaking on Monday and at the Hollywood and Highland Center adjacent to uh, or, or right here in town uh, we're gonna we're gonna be seeing you collect a little gold man how do you feel this week uh, heading into the week
1: I'm so honored. Uh, It's kind of an extraordinary thing. Um, Who knew? I mean, I watched the Academy Awards, you know, my entire life since I was a kid. And, you know, and it was just kind of beautiful to watch, you know, kind of the magic of movie making and all the people who, you know, who made it possible for these movies to get made. Uh, And I've been working at Sundance Institute for Over 40 years Mm -hmm. of my life, Um, it's been I had a couple other small jobs before that, but this has been my life's work. Um, So to be recognized um, by the Academy for this work and especially um, to be recognized for supporting independent filmmakers, you know, for really bold and groundbreaking next generation work. Yes. um, It just it. It feels great. But I also want to say that it's something I, I mean, yes, it's, it's coming to me, but I share it with all the filmmakers, all the advisors, you know, all my colleagues, you know, our, you know, our board staff, I mean, every. You know there are so many people that have been part of this work, and also the ecosystem of you know of you know artists and people out there who support uh, film um, and the incredible artistry that we have the opportunity to to make and support.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's go back in time to the beginning. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living?
1: I was born and raised on the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was near Asbury Park, Bruce Springsteen yes. country, we yes. know. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I grew up near the ocean. And that's why sort of moving out to L.A. and living near the ocean is, is something actually that's very powerful and meaningful uh, to me. Yeah. But I, I grew up in a in a family where my, uh, my father was a visual artist. Uh, he had a nine-to-five job because he knew he couldn't, you know... He You wouldn't be able to support a family um, if you didn't. Um, But he he was an artist and we were surrounded by art. I mean, our house was paintings and sculpture. It was I felt so lucky um, to be in this house. And you know, being close to New York City, we spent a lot of time going to museums uh, in the city. Um, I studied dance, so I grew up going to City Center and Lincoln Center and, and watching dance, which was you know really meaningful to me, yeah. with theater. Um, so it was a it was a house of art and a house of culture. Um, my mom is a Holocaust survivor. Yes, um, and, and she a, came from Prague.
2: Still going strong at a hundred. She's
1: one hundred. Thank years God, old, that's great. Is, she's actually passed it. She's going to be a hundred and one oh in God. April, which is kind of extraordinary. <sighs> great, uh, but yeah. you know, but for her um, supporting my dad as an artist, organizing shows for him. Um, was meaningful to her, and she, you know, she just loved, she loved dance and theater and reading and everything, so it was, I felt, felt like I've always said I was kind of weaned on the arts. It was important to me.
2: I want to read you back a quote of yours that I came across, which I think is very interesting. You know, you, you look for somebody's rosebud or, you know, the thing that set them on the path. Here's where you, what you said. My father was a painter and an artist and I connected to him through watching him work. I think that that had a big impact on my work at Sundance, that connection to the creative process by watching an artist work. So can you expand on that a little bit more? You'd watch him paint or whatever it was and, and sort of give feedback or, or, I mean, when we think about what you've done for the last 40 plus years, it's kind of nurturing. It is nurturing other artists. Uh, Take us into that a little bit more. It seems like that must have been a, just born into you.
1: Um, it was, but I I have to say he was he was not looking for feedback in <laughs> <me. laughs> that. Uh, but I was. This is when I was quite young. Uh, that I would go. His studio was in our was in our basement. You know, on the East Coast, there are basements. Yes. Grew <laughs> so, up in Connecticut. Yeah. I get so he created an yeah. art studio, and this was my connection to him, watching him work. And he loved classical music. I wasn't allowed rock and roll growing up, which was not fun. <laughs> but anyway, I got I found a way to, right. <laughs> to right. listen to the music I loved, uh, but classical music, opera, loud, and um, and the smell of oil paint turpentine there. I mean, there was something so special. And I just, I would sit for hours and watch him work. And I, he actually loved seeing me there. It meant something. It was where we truly connected. Um, The other, I always think the other funny thing is, you know, one of the first movies I saw was I was sick one day at home and, um, and I was, didn't go to school. uh, And And in the evening, he was up and he was watching a movie. And I came out of my room and he was watching Frankenstein. (laughs) And he said, come sit down and watch with me. So that was like another, you know, sort of moment of connection. I don't know that that would have been my my favorite movie uh, to watch. But just being with him um, was great. And then he loved teaching. So I didn't I wish I had the talent uh, as as a visual artist. I didn't My sister had that talent and so my sister uh, continued to evolve as a you know really beautiful painter. She unfortunately passed about 20 years ago uh, but she was you know this was something she she got the gene yes. um, from my dad. What I got was a love of you know, seeing the creative process, watching it evolve. Uh, and it made me want to support artists.
2: So where movies really became a big thing for you, it sounds like was go off to Northeastern Boston area, which I went to Brandeis. I know the area you're talking about. And I, for, I, I knew about the Brattle and some of these places in Cambridge, but it sounds like you had your own place that really is where you fell in love with movies.
1: Yes, it was called the Orson Welles Cinema. We remember Orson Welles. Of course. And it was this great space. It was in Cambridge, which was where I where I lived, and I could walk there. Uh, and I would go many afternoons, and they would show the it, what was then the Janus Film Collection, which is now the Criterion Collection. Yes. So I saw every foreign-language film made by Truffaut and Goddard and Bergman, Kurosawa, I mean, all the great filmmakers um that were you know that were making making movies you know a lot of them were you know shown you know somewhere in the world um but this was the place where I got to go and it was an interesting thing because they had both a restaurant there and a um it was a repertory house so they had a restaurant they had a a bar they had a film school there as as well and I thought boy, if I could ever feel like I belonged in a place like this, that would be heaven to me.
2: Now, it wasn't, however, that you were majoring in film or anything like that. It was even when you even, at the time of your graduation, 1974, I saw, what did you think you were going to be doing with your life? What the, It wasn't immediately into what you've done. Uh, what Can you connect the dots between what you thought you would do at, at the time you graduated to how you wound up in 1981 becoming uh, a part of Sundance?
1: Yeah, I mean, movies were really meant something and spoke to me. Uh, what I loved about film was the immersive quality of them. I needed to go someplace, and I wanted the magic to happen to take me away um, in you know in whatever the story was, um, whatever the images could be, as powerful as they could be, I loved world building and stuff so it it ultimately made sense for me to get there. I studied art history in in college uh, given my my love of of art of the visual arts uh, my love of the performing arts got me to since my first job, which was starting a, a nonprofit performing arts organization with two close friends, and we produced uh, uh, dance, theater, music, uh, a lot of it was free events. We were very interested in, which makes sense to me, it was like community building, bringing people together. Uh, we, were, we did a lot of work in housing projects. Uh, in the Boston area, we did a whole thing in the subways, around music, you know, which is I think something that that is part of you know, sort of the new New York subway system as well. So it was this, you know, I just love to be around you know, around the arts and around supporting artists and presenting artists to audiences. So the connection between, you know, between art, uh, performing arts and audience, whether it be music, theater or dance, was actually very compelling to me. Uh, But there was something about movies uh, and storytelling. Uh, I loved reading. And the, you know, the the art of storytelling through images spoke to me on a very deep level. uh, And, I was um, one day. I got a call from a very close friend of mine, and she said, "What are you doing the month of June?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> I have a job. What are you thinking?" Yeah, yeah And she, she said, "You know, would you would you consider coming to the Sun? You know, coming to the Sundance Institute? Robert Redford is starting starting up this uh, filmmakers lab uh, to support uh, you know new and up and coming uh, film artists." And she said, "It's a month." Uh, and I said, and she said, let me. You know, if you're interested, I'll talk to somebody there, and they'll they'll call you. And I was like, you know, it was it was a moment of, you know, when you when you think about opportunities. Well, the other thing they said is, look, it's Robert Redford. <laughs> I was going to say that must have. <laughs> it's Robert Redford. And I had just I had seen, you know, recently, Ordinary People, which I loved. Um, again, spoke to me on a very deep level in terms in terms of its themes, uh, and. And I saw all his movies, of course, and it was like, sure, I'll, <laughs> yeah, have them call me. I'll go out. I'll go out to Sundance, Utah, for a month and be part of some, you know, uh, you know, startup of a filmmakers lab.
2: Now, did you did that require you to quit your job that you had been doing?
1: Uh, I took a leave of absence. A leave of absence, okay. Yes, uh,
2: and just for the historical record, who was the person that thought of you for this opportunity?
1: Her name is Lynn Benjamin.
2: And, and she just felt that you would be right for it? Did she ever tell you why she thought to come to you? Well, we
1: were, we were good friends. Yeah. Her husband was in the, in the film business. Uh, they were, you know, she was at a brunch. They were talking about they needed somebody to help in coordinating a um, they were actually doing it was a weekend uh, which was going to focus on exhibition, marketing, distribution of what was called specialized films, not independent films right. in the nineteen eighties. So I was you know, and she knew I had, you know, I had good experience producing. I was producing the performing arts and I was organized and I was I was a hard worker yeah. and So it worked out.
2: (laughs) So in 1981, what you were joining, was it then even called the Sundance Institute? Because I know that originally the film festival was not the Sundance Film Festival. And obviously, you know, there's just the evolution of this is interesting, if you can summarize it a bit, because just to tee it up for you, my understanding is like, obviously, Sundance comes from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Redford's the Sundance Kid, Uh, then I, that's in 69. Then there's the decade of the 70s where blockbusters explode. And then something made him get, uh, was it Ordinary People? Was it something else that made him start to think more about independent film?
1: Well, he was always, um, and... An independent, spirited person. So we, you know, we need to start there yeah. in terms of his work and and what moved him, what he, you know, the the films that he he wanted to do, uh, and he had also uh, bought this land in in Utah, this beautiful land, and he was always interested in the intersection of art and storytelling. For him, that was that was key. Um, but he wanted to give back. He felt like he was in a moment in his career that it was, this was. The moment he had this space, this beautiful space, and uh, he he felt like this is you know he had gotten the Academy Award for Best pic- Picture, Best Director. It was a moment for him to, to sort of give back. He also wanted community, and when he was um, growing up and starting in theater and then in film, um, he he had some community, but he thought I could you know I can create. A space where people can feel safe, take risks, you know, you know, really be bold and imaginative in their work, uh, and from that uh, was, you know, created, you know, created this first uh, lab. Um, so the Sundance Institute was, you know, started as the Sundance Institute, a nonprofit organization. Uh, but the commitment um, and his commitment, also as a creative advisor, who's an he, you know, he continues to be an extraordinary creative advisor, um, really me- wonderful mentor uh, to, to artists. But it was he wanted to create a space where he could give back, where he could bring artists together, you know, who were seasoned in their careers uh, and would really think about, you know, a place where the next generation could learn, uh, could be part of a support system and community um, and could make, you know, bold you know, and groundbreaking films and put them out into the world.
2: Just thinking about the movies that he himself was was in up to that point, I would think most of them were made at the big studios, except I, I know that the same year as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was Downhill Racer, which I believe was pretty was independently independent. made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Was that something that he's spoken about as being just, even just to be exposed to what it meant to be making an independent film in the Late seventies, early eighties. Was that a turning, or in that case, late sixties? Was yeah. was that an eye-opening thing for him?
1: Probably was. I mean, The Candidate is another one of those yes. films, um, which I, I mean, I loved both of those films. Uh, and he talks about which is so interesting um, about taking those films around and trying to find a distributor and trying to find audiences uh, for them. But that, those those are the films that spoke to him, you know, on a you know on a deep personal level. Hmm. Uh, So those, you know, you know, and he was also interested in in films that that, you know, would would be developed, um, executed by artists coming from other parts of the world, not just L.A., you know, or New York. So, you know, he was interested in regional filmmaking in this, you know, in the U.S. He was interested in global filmmaking. Um, So interested in, you know, really creating a global arts organization that could support, you know, support artists um, who were beginning in their careers. But also he was interested, you know, as we all are, in how do you sustain a career, (laughs) which is not easy as well.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. You know, get get your first film
1: made, but it's hard to get your second yeah. film made. And how could we support artists doing that as well? So he had, and, and and also just to just to say, this was the moment of Star Wars, right? That hit big out there, um, and and technology was you know coming into its own. Uh, there were incredible opportunities, you know, for artists to create bigger and bigger films, bigger and bigger worlds. And he was, you know, he continued to be interested in, you know, sort of the, you know, the human the humanity of, of storytelling um, and the characters um, that could be created, the complexity of characters and complexity of our human condition. And those are the films that he wanted to support uh, through Sundance.
2: So I think there may be out in the world this sort of common misconception, which I may have had until recently, that, you know, the film festival was the reason for the Institute or something along those lines. In fact, the Institute was the reason to then have a film festival, right? Because here's a quote I found from an 81 interview he, he gave with Ebert. The reason I started the festival was to have an extension for the labs and, and then goes on. I have no idea what this will turn out to be. I know that it's getting increasingly hard to get a movie well distributed in this country, unless it has the potential to make millions of dollars. I think these projects here have a lot of promise. And I guess the idea is that they'll turn out better if the filmmakers have the opportunity to work on them with some experienced professionals, close quote. So, uh, And then he says, once we started the labs and saw the inspiring work, it was clear that we needed to find ways to make sure that these films were seen, which led to the festival, close quote. But I know that now it's, you know, it's not like if you make a thing with the lab, it's guaranteed to go. But my jumping back to my question, I guess, is when you start there in that first year with the first lab or labs, how many labs were there? What was the focus and how quickly did you guys arrive at the? format that continues to this day?
1: Well, the starting point was what we called the Filmmaker's Lab. It was a month-long lab um, that took place at the Sundance Resort. So it was one lab. (laughs) <laughs> that's where that's where we started. Okay. You know, if you if you look at what we're doing now, it's a lot of labs <laughs> and we've also traveled the world uh with, you know, with the labs that we've done. But the starting point was focusing on directors and directors working with camera, directors working with actors, um, you know, directors, you know, telling their you know more deeply personal stories um, that they wanted to tell. So the you know the the first lab became a place to really workshop material. Uh, the first film that came out of the lab was El Norte, uh, which was Gregory Nava's yes. uh, first film. I do believe it got nominated for an Academy Award for um, for screenwriting. But that's that was the the starting point. Uh, but In Redford's original vision, um, you know, which which was a really radical vision um, at at that time, uh, was, you know, the idea of, you know, of providing this lab experience, this workshopping experience, you know, this place, you know, for learning and community uh, with the next generation of artists. But at the same time, and I agree with this, a film is not complete until it connects to an audience, until it engages an audience, So uh, we, I have to say that we got, I mean, the labs continue to evolve. Um, we have, you know we, we, from a director's lab, we started to include a screenwriter's lab separately, which we do twice a year. Uh, we have a producer's lab because we feel like if you know, if if you look at the you know at at the you know sort of the needs of any you know of a film to go from you know from script um, to getting made. You need a producer Mm -hmm. and you need a real partnership in that and that producer going forward. So supporting producers became an important part of our work. Supporting nonfiction filmmakers became, you know, really key. To our work, uh, supporting episodic writers, you know, which we started 10 years ago. Um, there are, you know, there are many different ways in which, as we saw, what do artists need right now? So it wasn't about what we wanted to do. Yeah. It, was, it was really a, a sense of what we're, you know, it was listening and being good listeners to what artists could, you know, could give us in terms of what was going on for them, not, not only on the creative side of it, but also on the strategic and business side of it but in 1984 uh, the there was a film festival which was uh, mostly Salt Lake City based. It was called the US Film Festival. and we know we knew the people of course that were that were part of it. Redford was was I believe on the board at that time. Um, and they were having trouble financially keeping you know keeping the the festival going so they came to Sundance they came to 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 Redford at that time and asked if we would consider taking over the festival so that was that's where that's where it where it all started wow. and it made absolute sense to go there I mean it was like but it was hard because we couldn't afford to
2: take over a festival at that time well um, I wonder how could you guys even at the beginning afford to do the labs where's the money coming from because can we can we just also say what you're providing when you do a lab, even from, I think the beginning was you're bringing people there, right? You're putting them up, you're feeding them, you're bringing advisors to people with experience in the business Mm -hmm. to help them. Who's paying for all this?
1: Well, as a nonprofit organization, fundraising is, is part of the work that we do. You know, and I say to all your listeners, we always
2: need more, yeah. <laughs> need
1: more to do the essential right. work. You know that we that we do. Uh, but our first grant came from the National Endowment for the Arts. It was a grant for, I believe, it was twenty five thousand dollars to support to support the first lab. Now that didn't oh. cover the lab necessarily, uh, and we. Uh, but everyone, here's the other thing to know: yeah. everyone who comes as an advisor to our labs, they don't get paid. They do it because they want to be part of this community of giving back.
2: Uh, That's that's amazing. And I know that you've said the most gratifying thing is when former uh, pupils of the labs come back as the advisors having distinguished themselves. So um, just interesting thing I saw was that there's sort of a strategy about which labs are offered at which times of the year. And it might not, you know, as an outsider, I might think, well, you start with the script and then you go to the directing and then you go to the producing or, you know, different order. You've, you've said there's a rhyme and reason to why these labs are when they are and that they, and why they're maybe not in the order you would think they would be in.
1: Well... The we do start with the screenwriters lab because we believe that that's the beginning, right. you know, of of the work. So that's um, our next screenwriters lab, which is sort of point of entry for this new group, new cohort of filmmakers we'll be supporting, is in January. Um, in fact, I leave on Friday wow. um, to go up to Sundance um, for our January screenwriters lab. The directors lab comes next after that, and this is for this is for fiction. Feature makers, right. okay. Uh, after the directors' lab, we feel it's really important for the directors to get. They've gotten so much feedback uh, and so and learned so much, you know, from the advisors, but also putting us, you know, putting a scene on its on its feet, hearing a full reading of the screenplay. So it it is important for them to get feedback on their script because they're like sort of they. It, it's almost it's a part healing process, yeah. but it's also a help, you know, in in focusing the next work that needs to be done. On the screenplay, so we have a screenwriters' lab. After that, director's lab, Um, the producers' lab is you know is a separate lab. It's not necessarily for the producers on these projects, but it is an opportunity. I mean, when we started, there was you know there was in in the independent sphere, Christine Vachon, Anthony Bregman, Ted Hope, um, James Sheamus. There were others. But they were some of the, the you know the, the key producers. Um, well, they wanted to move on from first features. And I mean, I think they all still do first sure. features um, for sure. Yeah. But they also wanted to, you know, they wanted to expand the work. And so we were looking for who are the, you know, where's the next generation of producers to support who would take on not only, you know, our projects. It's not always about us. It's really about an ecosystem. So we wanted to to always serve Serve the artists that we're already, you know, that we're supporting, but we also wanted to open us up as, you know, sort of a collective work that we all can do to support, you know, the independent industry here.
2: So, how many people might apply for these labs? And also, are you accepting a person? Are you accepting a project? Are you, does somebody apply to a specific lab or do you look at what they've? coming to you with and you suggest the lab um, is if somebody does the screenwriter's lab, does that mean they're going to do the director's lab? Just like how does somebody wind up where they wind up there?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, wanna, you know, for anybody, again, listening, uh, the best thing to do is go on our website because all the programs uh, that we do and you know, through all the artists that we support, they, you know, we 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 do give as much information as we can. There's also an application deadline uh, for all the, you know, for all of our programs. So you can you can see. So it's not like what do I do? How do I do this? We're usually, I mean, for the feature film program, we are very much project based and artist based. So it's both. Uh, but somebody has to have a project because we don't want it to be a theoretical experience. We want it to be, you know, a real, you know, sort of, you know, deep, you know, deep dive experience for them in term in terms of the work. There's no automatic between the screenwriters lab and our directors lab. But many of the people that we support in our screenwriters lab, it makes sense to continue supporting them. Here's the thing that distinguishes Sundance, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm very proud of the work that we do. We yeah. have a great team doing it. Is once we select a project, we we're investing in this artist. We're investing in, you know, in this project. Although they can change a project too, but we we make a you know real investment in. In, in them as an artist at this particular moment. Um, so the lab becomes the starting point. That's the beginning of, of our connection uh, and you know, sort of journey with a project. From that point on, it, it, it really is very bespoke and customized. It's like, what do they need moving forward? Uh, so some projects, uh, of course, after the lab, after Screenwriter's Lab, they're gonna need somebody to read you know and give them feedback on their next draft of the script. Um, So there's that going on. Some projects are writer-based projects. They don't have a director. So they're looking, can you help us find a director? They're all looking for producers for the most part, looking for money, looking for casting, um, looking for who's the best DP or editor. So we're supporting them very individually individually. Uh, which is one of the things I absolutely love doing. So it's 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 not about you know something that is a pipeline, a pipeline, yeah. yeah. yeah or the you know, but what we are doing is is saying for each individual project and artist, how can we help it move forward? I mean, I think of supporting um, Ritesh Batra, um, who did the film The Lunchbox um, mm-hmm. and many other films. Uh, he came to the lab with a different project, and about six months later, he said, "I can't get this project made in India." Um, because of the political nature of it. Um, But I've just written another script um, called The Lunchbox. Would you read it? Would you you know, consider supporting it. I read it, I fell in love mm-hmm. with that script. And I said, Absolutely, we're there for you. Whatever we would have however we would have supported your, you know, the project you brought to the lab, we're there for you. Um, you know, with 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 that. But we're also thinking about, you know, as we know, it's it's it, it is a journey and everybody's on a different journey and a different timeline. So what is a you know, what does somebody need in any particular point? And we're always checking in with them. Uh, they don't, you know, sometimes you know, it, it's hard to reach somebody because they feel like I don't have anything new to report. And we're saying, like, that's OK. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're there. Um, but, you know, a great thing is 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 to see, of course, somebody start at the lab, um, you know, continue. And whether they, you know, premiere their film at the Sundance Festival, which is really cool and we love that, or at another festival, uh, it's it's exciting. We want to see these films um, having a real impact on on world audiences in you know in different ways, you know, through their entertainment value, but also through cultural, you know, and you know, and social change that can spark those conversations that are really important.
2: And so for you specifically, you're making sure that all of the pieces that have to be in place to make a lab work. You're you're picking the people who are gonna be there, you're picking coordinating who will be advising What's going on during the lab in terms of just even the programming, if, if that's the right word, during the time they're in uh, Utah? Uh, just your own—are you just involved with everything, or are there? Do you are are you now at a point where you can feel like you you can delegate it, or how does it work? What's your schedule uh, like on a day to day basis?
1: Well, first, I would say that. That we have an amazing team. I don't do any of this on my own and alone. So it is it is a team effort. Uh, the each lab is different in terms of the you know the work that I that I do. I'm very involved in selecting projects, uh, and that's that's a big part of it. I used to like read, you know, I don't know 500 scripts, and now would I could never do that. Oh my gosh! And would never yeah, do that. Yeah. So we have an incredible team. Um, led by for the feature film pro- program, led by Elise McKimmy, who you know who really works works hard to you know to do the kind of outreach and you know and review process and all of that. Um, so I'm you know I'm in on that and of course making the final decisions. I'm I really love because I I've spent so much time with advisors and developing you know this advisors for the, for the lab. It's, you know, there are a lot of them are my close friends yeah. right now. Yeah. So that's a big piece of what I, what I do. I mean, if you asked me about this morning, what was my, what was my, what was my day? There's no not, two days in light, right? No, yeah. you know, it, it isn't. I mean, I was, I was going out to, you know, to advisors for, you know, for our lab, which is coming up in May this year mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and getting, you know, getting responses. I mean, I, I get, cause I've been doing it for a long time and people love being there. Sure, They, you know, they want to come if they can come mm-hmm. um, and that. So, you know, doing, you know, from, from doing that to, to, you know, to being on a call that, you know, focusing on our international work and sort of figuring out what, you know, where we are and how we want to move forward in terms of, you know, we have our Sundance London, um, we have other, you know, other parts of the world right now that we're look- looking at. So I work with a great leadership team. Uh, and, you know, it's not just me, it's all of us together who are, you know, sorting out. You know how we're going to move forward in different different ways. If you ask me, what I love doing, yeah, I love I love um, the individual work with with artists, um, and I love our labs. Going to a lab and feeling that sense of community, um, and just you know a spirit of generosity, a um, culture of generosity, which is hard to find anywhere, um, and watching artists grow uh, is. You know, just gives me so much pleasure.
2: Now, um, you—I I don't know if what the what the most apt word is, but I guess just one that comes to mind. You, you're sort of sounds like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but midwifing or uh, other these projects of the people that you believe in. You, however, you're you. You've you were been nominated for an Oscar yourself. You made a film with or about one of the people who was an advisor at the labs, Waldo Salt, uh, nominated for Best Documentary. Making films your, of your own, making films yourself, is that, has that been tempting while you're, I mean, in a way, you've made a zillion films because you're clearly in the DNA of all of these. But I just wonder how you've uh, weighed those options over the course of your own career. Because you're, I think you're probably thanked in more movies than anyone ever. But it's, uh, you know, it was a decision, obviously, that you made to help others.
1: Yeah. But I I, I love the work that I get to do. Yeah. I would rather be doing uh, the work in terms of being on that creative side of the work than, you know, than working on. I mean, it, it's hard. It's really hard for producers to get a movie made. That's not what I want to do. You know that for me yeah. that's not what I want to be doing yeah. I feel like I I'm, I'm all about impact where yeah. can I have the most impact yeah and I can have the most impact doing the work that I do yeah. you know at the Sundance Institute for what I care you know most about sure. um, I did I mean I Walter salt was one of the great advisors He, I, I see him as a real founding advisor of the Institute who was there in our early years Uh and if, you know, if you met with with Walter Salt, you actually believed in yourself as, as a writer. And and he there was something about how he worked with you where, I mean, people were forever transformed mm. as writers. Uh, and we uh, several of us and it was directed by by Robert Hillman and Gene Corr. I was a producer on it. Um, we did it for American Masters. But it was like, how do we share Waldo saw. We got to be with him. Yeah. You know, a small group of writers got to learn from him. But how do we take, you know, all his knowledge and all that he can, you know, that he can give as a screenwriter and his incredible story and how do we share that uh, with writers around the world? It's had a major impact. We show it at every uh, screenwriter's lab we do. Uh, and it's the first, This it's the first film that people, you know, that our fellows see. I mean, our advisors have seen uh, it, yeah. but it's that first film, you know, really looking at that commitment he made, you know, as a screenwriter. It's awesome. And, yeah.
2: Can I tee up, I mean, there are infinite potential case studies I could ask you to share about like how, what did, you know, how you worked with this person on this project mm-hmm. or whatever, but just a few of the higher profile ones, if we can... You know, zoom through a few. Uh, so you mentioned Gregory Nava with El Norte. That's one of the earliest. I think it was the f- the first one to go through the lab and play at the festival. Right. Um, what you know, just uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think back about that one?
1: Gregory, I mean, incredibly talented uh, and. And he, it, it was just, it was really, this was our first lab. So we were learning every moment of it. And uh, it, was, it was great to watch him learn to work with actors. I think that was the big thing uh, for him at the lab. He had a really strong visual language for the film. Um, but working with actors was newer, newer for him, and um, and it was it was great to just see him learn to kind of play, but also learn. And he took it very seriously. And it was not easy to get that movie made.
2: Yeah, he said, uh, that, "quote My movie was in Spanish and dealt with immigration. No way studios would make that." Close no. quote. So he says he you know owes it all to there. Uh, I'm gonna zoom mention a, a few others. If there's one where I should stop. Uh, uh, so uh, Yuzhan Palsy, who just was honored at the yeah. Governor's Awards, I think it was last year. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo Garcia, I think that was for things you can tell just by looking at her. Miguel Arteta, Guillermo del Toro, when you guys expanded into Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Uh, with The Devil's Backbone, Julie Taymor, Al- Alice Sanders, Nicole Holofcener with Walking and Talking, Quentin Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs. That's I have to ask you about that one.
1: He was so much fun. Even then. <laughs> with it. I mean, Steve Buscemi came to the lab and he had already cast him uh, for the lab. And then he cast somebody locally. Uh, what he did, which was something that no one else ever did, which I loved, uh, which he had a scene. He did two scenes at the lab that he, that he directed, that he workshopped. Um, and one scene was a scene that was from the screenplay, written from the screenplay. And the second scene that he did, he said, I, I'm going to write a scene. Overnight, I'm just going to write a scene, a new scene. And I want to just I, I need to find my confidence as, as a director with something that is that is that I've not spent a lot of time already thinking about. Um, and I want to, you know, develop these were two characters he wanted to sort of continue to d- develop and, and and see different sides of, of them. And it was it was actually a really great wow. great scene that he did, and I love that because it was he was willing to take you know to just real experiment uh, and not have to prove himself. But what he wanted to do was build his confidence. So when he got out of the lab, and very soon after, he was in production on on um, Reservoir Dogs. Amazing.
2: Okay, Paul Thomas Anderson, Heart Eight. This ah. is somebody who uh, has said that you know he owes. You were the first person that really believed in him. What what was it? Hard Eight is the movie that ends up coming out in ninety six, but you'd met him years before that.
1: Well not not that much earlier. I mean he he uh, he showed we showed his film, his short film, uh, at the Cigarettes and Coffee at mm-hmm. the at the festival. And I remember watching that film and I thought, Okay, this guy is real talent and I found him. Uh, at the festival and, you know, I said, you know, we're doing a lab. Do you have a script that you're, that you're working on? And he said, he said like, absolutely. What I found out is absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Or it wasn't, you know, he was just starting it. I said, here's our deadline for the, you know, to submit a a script. And, uh, and he came to the lab. What was great about uh, uh, Paul at the lab is his, set being on his set, he was the most infectious, fun director you could be with. Everybody wanted to sit on his, his set and watch him work. And he watched you know, he worked with Philip Baker Hall and John C. Riley who were in the film, so he brought his actors there. And I remember John Schlesinger, who was an advisor at that time, and he, he like he wouldn't leave the set. And it's like John, there are other you know, there are other directors working. he said, This is like so much fun. I'm learning from him. He just loved working with actors. So that energy that we all feel from him was very present at the you know
2: at the director's lab awesome uh tamara jenkins slums of beverly hills kimberly pierce boys don't cry john cameron Mitchell, hedwig and the angry inch miranda july me and you and everyone we know darren aronofsky requiem for a dream that uh he was he'd already done pie but was in this case so you it wasn't you don't have to be a first time filmmaker to be with
1: you. Well for the director's lab, yes, first time. Uh, but for the screenwriter's lab, which is where we supported Darren. Yeah. Uh, we supported him on Requiem for a Dream. And I remember he was struggling with the third act. Mm-hmm. And he and I remember he met with 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 Bob with Redford and and that was a transformative meeting for him in terms of trying to sort of sort out where he needed to take that story um, and where it would have the power that he was looking for.
2: Ryan Fleck and Anna Boden, Alfonso Cuarón, at uh, one point, was he one uh, of... Uh,
1: well, he's been an advisor, an advisor lab, okay. at the lab, but we also supported he and Carlos Cuaron, his, his yes. brother on Love in the Time of Hysteria at the yeah. at our Mexico lab, that first lab that Guillermo del Toro was at.
2: Right. Uh, Lisa Cholodenko, Gina Prince-Bythewood with, I assume, Love in Basketball. Love in Basketball, yeah. Uh, Andrea Arnold, Sean Durkin, Taika Waititi, but with a, several different labs and projects, I think, right? Yeah. Uh Carrie Fukunaga you've said working on Scene Nombre was a particularly memorable one for for you.
1: Well just watching him work. Yeah. I mean I you know he he cre- he created uh Mexico at Sundance. Wow. <laughs> not, not easy to do. Oh. Uh, but it was he was astounding yeah. uh, in in his work and you know with the actors that he found locally um because there were you know there's sort of bigger scenes with multiple actors in them. Uh it just he brought his you know his script alive. It was beautiful.
2: Chloe Zhao for probably the writer or was it Uh, something else? No.
1: Um uh the her first feature of songs my brother taught me. Right, right, right.
2: Deborah Granick, uh I assume Winter's or maybe before Winter's Bone.
1: Before Winter's Bone, Down to the Bone.
2: Wow. Uh right, right, right. Yeah. Iris Sachs, D. Reese with Pariah. Uh, ben Zeitlin, Beast of the Southern Wild, which was a special one. Yeah. Brian Kugler, Fruitvale Station, I think, right? So that was, we, he's one that we have to talk about. Okay.
1: So he didn't come to our director's lab. We supported him at our screenwriter's okay. lab. Um, and he was there with Marielle Heller and Chloe Zhao and David Lowry. It was quite, Jonas Carpignano, it was wow. quite a year. And uh, he, and I remember seeing his short film and I remember uh, reading the script and getting on a call with him, and it was like, oh, yes, we need, you know... I, I mean, that's what gets me excited. I mean, it's uh, not that... I mean, for me, it was discovery. He, you know, he was at USC and, and stuff. Anyway, the... Um, we we really helped him um, with the script, but as importantly, it was when I talked about the the year-round support right. that we provide, um, I remember him calling me, it was like in probably April, and he said, I have an opportunity to make this movie, there's financing available, you know, through Forrest Whitaker's company. Um, and he said, but I, I want to go to the director's lab. And I said, Ryan, go make your movie yeah, uh, yeah. and um, and we'll support you. So, I mean, I looked at multiple cuts of the movie. We supported him. And one of the things we do, I didn't talk about, is granting. We yes. provide a lot of granting to support filmmakers because it is really tough out there. There's no money for development. No. There's, you know, very little money at those in-between times when artists really need that support. So we we provided a lot of support for him. But if you, um, I just want to say one other thing. Sure. Which was watching Fruitvale Station at the festival, which was one of those incredible moments um, that we had. It was, I mean, people at the end were sobbing and it was as quiet as it could be. And um, and the Q and A started and nobody could talk. And his uh, and Oscar Grant's uncle stood up and he said, "Thank you. Wow. Um, this you you brought out the humanity um, of Oscar Grant." Wow.
2: Um, Just quickly uh, and obviously, no list could be complete. You've done so many people: Damien Chazelle, Mary Heller, Boots Riley, Lulu Wang, Charlotte Wells. Uh, Nia Dacosta, Yancey Ford, the Daniels who just did everything everywhere. I think you did Swiss Army Man. Yes. Uh, Nicole Newman and Jim LeBrec, Rada Blank. Um, but here in the final uh, minute, if we can, just some kind of big picture first thing that comes to mind is what is inherently important about independent filmmaking. Why is it important? You know, there's movies that can are always being made somewhere. Why is why is independent filmmaking important?
1: We have to think about where do filmmakers start. Talk about Chris Nolan,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Memento right. started um, his you know his career, and that every filmmaker who was um, Greta Gerwig started right. with an independent film. Every filmmaker who is out there um, <laughs> being considered for Oscars right yeah, now, right. for the most part, uh, started with an independent yeah. film. Um, you you know this is this is a place that first feature is so you know so key and important in terms of your evolution and journey as as a filmmaker i mean there's you know the other part of it is 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 people want to i mean it's great i i love all films um and uh but at the same time i want to i want to see something that that illuminates something that I, you know, that's new for me. Totally. Um, I want to, you know, be in the presence of a character that is so complex and and interesting. Uh, I want something that I feel is coming from a world that I haven't seen before. And Sundance has made a deep commitment to underrepresented communities. And as you know, as you name all of these artists, it's an extraordinary group of, of artists that would have not gotten an opportunity to get a movie made. Um, you know, without you know without our work at Sundance, but there are other you know, there are other organizations who well, share this, this work. Um, they, and also indigenous filmmakers. And just to talk about, yeah. you know, uh, Sterling Harjo, look at what where he is right now, Mm -hmm. but he started at the Institute with our indigenous program, um, Taika Waititi indigenous program and our feature film program. So, so many filmmakers got their start and you have to have that moment where you can feel, be in a safe place where help, where people are helping you um, develop your skills and develop your work.
2: Second to last one. If I were to be able to go back to 1981 and tell you, what this would all grow into. Would it have been fathomable? Can you believe it now, Uh, 42 years, 43 years later, that this has grown to the size and impact that it has?
1: No, Um, (laughs) (laughs) is the answer. Redford was always about never rest on your laurels. Yeah. You know, listen, what's going on? What do artists need right now? So, no, we were, you know, I, you know, I, I'm always about future thinking, um, and being in, you know, as much as I can in the, in the presence yeah. with my, you know, with as much of my full heart as I can be and work.
2: And finally, uh, so tomorrow night, Tuesday night, when this ceremony takes place, you're going to be up there with Mel Brooks, Angela Bassett, Carol Littleton as the four honorees of this governor's awards. I imagine Redford and other people who you've worked with over the course of these 43 years uh, are going to be there. I guess just when somebody hands you that statuette, uh, what do you, what, who, uh, just what will you be thinking about in that moment if you can try to, I know you're going over the rehearsal right after this, so you probably get a better sense there, but just, you know, what this moment means to you and what you'll be, what you imagine you'll be thinking about.
1: Yeah. Well, gratitude. Um, Gratitude that I've, you know, that I've gotten to do this work, um, that I was brought in in a moment where I was ready to take it on. Gratitude for all the people that I've gotten to work with. Gratitude to all the filmmakers, you know, all the advisors. Um, So I think that that is what will, I will hold on to. You know, Redford, North Star, his vision is, you know, is is everything. And the fact that I've gotten to hold on to it and carry it forward with all of my colleagues um, is incredibly meaningful. Meaningful to my family. Um, meaningful to, you know, our independent film community.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's amazing to, to realize how many projects that we all know trace back in, in a way to you and, and I just thank you for, for that and for doing this and and I hope you have a, a blast right. Well thank you Scott
1: thank you. it was wonderful talking to you to talk to you
2: Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter we really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app and to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in.
0: Plus.